0: Hello, I'm Ray Wright, founder and CEO of RevOps Squared and host of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. We talk to a wide variety of B2B SaaS industry thought leaders, executives, and people just like you to discuss what metrics, KPIs, and benchmarks they use to enable better data-driven metrics-informed decisions that accelerate revenue performance and increase enterprise value. Now, on to today's show. Welcome to today's episode of the Metrics that Measure Up podcast. Today we are joined by Tom Stewart, Executive Director of the National Center for the Middle Market. Thomas is also the former Editor and Managing Director of the Harvard Business Review and was on the editorial board at Fortune Magazine for 14 years. We feel privileged to have Thomas as our guest today and to gain his unique insights into this segment of corporate America, the middle market. And one that almost every SaaS company I work with is interested in better understanding and how to penetrate and serve this critical marketplace. Today, we will be covering three main areas. How do we define the middle market and why is it important? Is digital transformation or even automation a top priority for the middle market? And what other process areas is the middle market prioritizing to increase efficiency and has COVID 19 impacted the priorities? Thomas, welcome to today's podcast, and please take a minute to introduce yourself to our listeners. Well,
1: Ray, thank you so much. It's a privilege for me to be on your podcast as well and have this chance to talk to you and to the folks you work with. As you said, I'm the executive director of the National Center for the Middle Market. We're a research group at the Fisher College of Business at the Ohio State University, a place you know and love as much as I do. The NCMM has been around for just about 10 years, and we focus on studying mid-sized companies. We can talk a little bit about what they are and their impact in a minute. But I've been at the center for about six years. As you said before that, I was at Booz and Company. Before that, Harvard Business Review and Fortune. So I've been hanging around business for. A whole long period of time, but this is the first time I've really had this opportunity to focus on what we call the market that moves America, the extraordinary mid-sized segment of companies.
0: Well, you just made a comment, the market that moves America. And I know every software as a service and cloud company I work with, they talk about the SMB, the small and medium-sized business, and either they focus there or they want to go all the way to the high end, the enterprise market. But then they realize there's this middle market that could be a huge target addressable market, that they really don't understand that well. So Tom, how do you define the middle market and why is it so important?
1: Well, the two questions are sort of related and they are the $64,000 question. There are a lot of companies with different definitions of the middle market. Government tends to define companies in terms of Payroll, aka voters, banks and others, companies tend to sort of say that the middle market is They sort of define it by what's their economics of serving small companies, mid-sized companies and big companies. And, you know, whether it's a platform officer in a bank or commercial officer or somebody with a senior vice president in front of his name, when we started out to figure this out 10 years ago we went to census data and said let's find the middle third of the private sector let's cut the gordian knot and say what's the middle third of the private sector where do you set those sliders and that gives you a census of about 200,000 companies with revenues annual revenues between 10 million and a billion dollars a year now that's a big spread it's you know two orders of magnitude but it's the middle third they're bigger than small they're smaller than big They're usually not startups. The median age of these companies is 31. Obviously, there are a lot of young companies rapidly growing through the middle market, but there they are. And they are sort of the forgotten middle child of American business. The small business, the entrepreneur, the guy in the garage gets a ton of attention. Big business gets covered with Wall Street Journal stories and stock market stories and They got lobbyists on K Street to make sure their interests are well represented or represented well or not, depending on your point of view, in policymaker areas. But in the middle, you get this group of companies, mostly private, 85% of them are private, about a third, a little less than a third are family owned, another bunch have private equity investment, but they're sort of quiet and in the middle. And because they're not public, there's no stock market stories. Because they don't have lobbies or a small business administration, they sort of are underrepresented at the table where policy is made. And yet, if you look at their performance, and we've been looking at it, as I said, for a decade, these guys account for about 60% of all net job growth, a third of the economy. Generally, their top line growth is two or three percentage points higher than that of the S&P 500. So if you get S&P 500 revenue growth of 4% in the middle market, you'll get 6, 6.5% on an annualized basis. This is where the dynamism is. It's an extraordinary group of sort of unknown companies. And it's exactly why your SaaS companies and others say, oh, wait a minute, these guys, there's a lot of them. You know, there are only 500 customers in the Fortune 500, but there are a couple hundred thousand of them. They're growing fast. They're hard to reach. And there's an extraordinary opportunity in figuring out how to serve them.
0: Well, 200,000 unique companies, that definitely is an expanded target addressable market for our listeners. Now, in media over the last six months, you've heard a lot about how small businesses have really been impacted by COVID-19, especially in the hospitality and restaurant industry. You hear a lot about the large companies, especially in the airline or travel industry, and how they've been impacted. But Tom, what about the middle market? How has it been impacted? And do you see any common themes on how the middle market has been impacted? Yeah, it's really interesting. Let me
1: go back a decade. When we were coming out of the Great Recession, there were a few things that we discovered about that period. First of all, that smaller business was much more likely to be knocked out of business by the Great Recession than big business or mid sized business. Big business was least likely to be knocked out, but mid sized businesses survived extremely well, not quite as well as the big guys, but almost as well. And those surviving companies actually added jobs during that period. And it made me think, as I was looking at this, that these companies sit at sort of a sweet spot at an intersection of resilience and runway. Resilience in the sense that they can take a licking and keep on ticking, and runway in the sense that they have room to grow. So if covid Obviously, COVID has come and clobbered almost everybody. Actually, there's a number of companies. About a third of the middle market actually saw more than 10% revenue growth in the last 12 months. But for most people, it's been extraordinarily negative. Mid-sized companies over the 12 months ended in June had a revenue decline of 3.7% on an annualized basis, and that's compared to an average revenue growth of about six and a half percent over the years before. So it's nearly an 11% revenue drop to a negative 3.7. But the S&P 500's revenue top line fell 11.1%. Similar story with jobs. Middle market in the last 12 months, ended in June, shed 4.5% of its jobs. And that's a swing of about eight percentage points, from 4% growth to 4% decline. Small business shed 9% of jobs and big business 10%. So what we're seeing, I think it's partly this private capital response is they're acting aggressively, but they're not acting like, oh my God, I got to show numbers to Wall Street. So they're acting a little bit more of a long-term reaction than some of the big guys who may be really worried, more worried about their stock price. And they also have more resilience than small companies. Now, big hit, right? They still take a big hit. One out of eight says that they think the impact of COVID will be catastrophic on their business. As you said, hospitality, hotels, restaurants, retailers, some wholesalers have really taken it on the chin. Healthcare, health, the whole healthcare industry has been extraordinarily disrupted by COVID, in part because a lot of their most profitable lines of business were put on hold. You know, you're not going in for plastic surgery right now because we've got more important things to deal with. So actually, that industry, I think 35% of mid-sized healthcare companies said that they expected to be facing cash problems more than any other industry. So it's varied across industry sectors, big impact, but surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, the middle market is actually holding up a little better than big business or small
0: Oh, one of the things that you talked about there was some industry dynamics, healthcare versus hospitality. If you think about those 200,000 middle market companies, are there any industries that overrepresent a significant percentage of that market?
1: Yeah. Uh, if you think about the economy as a whole, it was about 12 or 13% manufacturing. Middle market's about 17 or 18% manufacturing. So the middle market over indexes for manufacturing. And that, by the way, is an industry that as a whole has been relatively less hurt by COVID than some others. The middle market also over indexes in construction. There's a lot of mid-sized construction companies. And that also is an industry relatively under-affected by COVID compared to some others. So there's a couple of strong industries there. But you know, if I think about a typical middle market company, I think of the guy who owns a factory at the end of the road that he inherited from his father or mother and is preparing to pass on to his daughter or son and he's hiring the daughters and sons of the workers his old man hired when the company was founded. And that's your quote unquote, typical middle market company is a hundred million dollar materials company. But you also find a lot franchises, you know, a guy who owns 20 McDonald's is a middle market entrepreneur. So you get a whole lot across all kinds of industry sectors, but that over-indexing to manufacturing is one of the reasons that the middle market is so important to the economy as a whole.
0: You know, Tom, you said a few interesting things here, and once again, since our listeners are primarily in the technology and specifically in the SaaS and cloud business, you said a couple things that maybe you can help provide some additional insights on. One is almost one-third of those 200,000 companies are some type of family-owned business. And number two, a huge concentration in manufacturing with 17% in construction. How has the middle market reacted to digital transformation? Cause you hear about that in large companies and of course tech-centric companies and in certain industries are are have rushed to digital transformation. But what about some of these more traditional, I hate to use the word, rust belt, but more blue-collar type industries reacting to digital transformation initiatives? Now, we've been looking at digital
1: transformation now for a couple of years, and obviously COVID has come in and affected our research agenda and also affected the role of digital transformation in middle market companies. But the data that we're showing is, first of all, that it is a very high priority for mid-sized companies. It varies by sector, as you'd expect. Generally speaking, construction is a laggard in some of these areas of digital transformation. Most of the others are more forward-looking. The data we have, show that companies that prioritize digital transformation and have a strategic view and use it to guide decisions are substantially outgrowing the companies that do not. This is data from pre-COVID, but we sort of were able to divide the middle market into four groups where their approach to digital was either strategic, advanced, defensive, or not there. Strategic, it's really critical. It's changing our business model. It's how we make decisions. Advanced, we're actively engaging in transforming important parts of our operations. Defensive, we're busy keeping up with everybody else. We want to keep up with established best practice. And not there, we're ostriches, right? That top group, the advanced group, is about 10% of the middle market, 9%. And those guys and the advanced, which is 36%, combine them, that's 45%, nearly half. Those guys were growing at an average rate of about 9.6% annualized revenue growth when we did this about a year and a half ago. The other guys, the defensive and the not there, that was 55% of the middle market folks. 45 in the top two, 55 in the bottom two. Those guys are growing at about 6.5%. So more than three percentage points difference in growth rate. And as I said, about an almost 50-50 split, 45-55 between those people who are in the advanced and strategic and those people who are in the defensive or ostrich category. So critically important and making a critically important difference in companies.
0: So Tom, that's going to be really interesting to our listeners, because if you look at 9% average growth versus lower than 6.5 average growth, yeah, you said it was 3% more. But if you look at it on a holistic basis, it's almost 50% faster growth rates for those companies who are advanced and strategic. It's extraordinary.
1: You see a lot of interesting things too, If you go and double click on the nature of the spending, it seems to me that you can think of investments in digital as being in three kinds of buckets. One is keeping the lights on, regular operations budget, paying the bills, so on and so forth, managing today's business. And the other is planning tomorrow's business with strategy and analytics and marketing and stuff like that. Obviously, everybody's got to protect themselves with cybersecurity and they're spending more money on that than they ever did. But in general, you see that the more advanced companies are starting to spend more money moving out into those more advanced and strategic capabilities. And Moore's Law is low, slowly lowering the cost of keeping the books, counting the money, so on and so forth. So that's one area is moving to more customer and revenue facing and future facing activities. The other thing is we're seeing in the area of transformation you sort of see a change between automation of functions and real transformation of functions so you think about supply chain for example you know you can bring in it automate a lot of things that you're doing by hand or phone or fax, but then you can actually start creating more of an ecosystem with your suppliers or your vendors where you can have real-time inventory real-time management. You can get inside each other's systems. You create more porous but secure walls, and you connect those to your inventory and operation systems. Suddenly, you start transforming the business and not just automating it, and you begin to see those advanced companies starting to do that we study the analytics in the middle market and you can sort of see that there's that one stream of analytics which is sort of like counting the beans right analyzing the counting the beans and there's that other stream of analytics that's sort of like where are our opportunities what's growing what's working and you sort of see that move as the companies get into transformation they think wow i can really change my balance sheet i can really change my operating model i can become a whole new kind of company now, what's interesting is these guys, because of their size, they're kind of binary. They're either on the boat or not on the boat. They don't pilot very well. You know, They may not have a little widget division off somewhere in the corner a Skunk Works where they can try something out and see if it works. And if it works, then slowly scale it into the big business. They may have just one P&L or two P&Ls. So instead of piloting, 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 scaling, they tend to watch, 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 jump. And so, the way they look at the market it's a different sales process if you're trying to sell to them it's a really fascinating process. I was talking to some guys in the whole commercial payments industry who were talking to me about this, and about how, with a big company, you can go say let's go try it over here let's test this whole thing with a mid sized company, you have a longer sales cycle, but then they say, "Yes, they shake your hands,
0: and you're off to the races so one of the things that tells me is the educational and thought leadership process that a lot of SaaS companies use within their content marketing might be really important for the middle market because they want to become educated, they want to learn, they want to see the experience of others before they will dive in. You
1: know, this is one of the things that I think where we add value as the National Center for the Middle Market is there's not a lot of rigorous and relevant thought leadership that's written in the native language of middle market companies. It's either stuff that you read an HBR or McKinsey or BCG does or Deloitte, and you have to lop off two zeros and hope that it fits or it's stuff that you read in ink magazine or fast company about startups and you try to scale it up and see if it fits but you really need to think about the middle i remember when i was on the west coast i was coming to spend some time with one of the very major software as a service companies and i'm not going to mention which it is but they were like a lot of these guys saying we really want to crack the middle market and they didn't quite know how to do it because their software was elephant guns for people who wanted twenty twos. And they sort of thought, Gee, maybe if we take away some features, sort of like selling a refrigerator by taking out the ice maker, maybe that'll do the job. And it really isn't right. You have to rethink who these people are. And they were just discovering that we couldn't just take what we were selling to a Fortune 500 company and strip it down a little bit and lower the price because it didn't work. And it wasn't done right. And this is one of the things that I think we helped with. We did a study of supply chains. It's not about how to manage a supply chain. It's how to be a link in someone else's supply chain, because that's where mid-sized companies tend to be. Nobody looked at this before. It was virgin territory for studies. People had looked at how to run a supply chain. Nobody looked about how to thrive. If you're a $50 million company, you're a supplier to Procter and & Gamble, and how do you do that? Nobody looked at that. And that's the sort of thought leadership that you need to do to understand who these people are, what their
0: issues are, and how to help them succeed and grow. Interesting, Tom. What we try to accomplish here in the Metrics at Measure Up podcast is really providing insights and education material for a broad cross-section of the cloud and SaaS industry. But specific here to the middle market, Can you share any type of maybe syndicated research or proprietary research that you've done with companies and maybe an example of how that really helped? Well, yeah, I mean, a couple of stories here.
1: One is basically you can go to our website, which is middlemarketcenter.org. And this stuff is there. Give us your email address and download away. The supply chain study, the perfect link is an example. And when that came out, we did this in collaboration with the Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals. And they told us that it was the most downloaded piece of research that they had had in years because people were using it. This filled a real gap. We also have our COVID stuff and this analytics study that I mentioned, which is kind of interesting. But I can give you an example of another kind, which is sort of a more, we work with big companies as sponsors and they generally sort of support us with grants. And we, in turn, will include them in our process for, you know, setting the research agenda and what are the topics we ought to be looking at, what areas of digital transformation, what areas of risk management or other things we might finance, access to capital we might look at. And when Chubb came aboard as a sponsor, they were really interested in trying to understand that mid-sized manufacturing segment that I talked about and particularly interested in looking at how changes in manufacturing were changing the number of exposures that manufacturing companies had to risk. And let me give you an example. If you start adding value-added services as well as products, suddenly you have a whole new risk exposure. Or if you start selling smart products, suddenly you have a whole new risk exposure with the security of those products. And from their business point of view, they were curious to find out about what were the changes in manufacturing in the industry, in the middle market industry, and middle market manufacturing. And what was that doing that created, therefore, new opportunities for them? It was a fascinating study. I mean, they used it very successfully to develop some new leads and develop new stuff. But what was really interesting for us, I mean, yeah, I'm happy that they're happy, but from wearing my academic hat, What was really interesting for us is that we started discovering all kinds of things about the way that success in manufacturing was changing. I mean, the things that you needed to do to be successful, risk and opportunity, of course, are two sides of the same coin. And we began to understand what it was that the most successful manufacturing companies were doing to take advantage of this changing environment and how their behavior contrasted with the companies that were being less successful. So we began to think, wow, here's this changing manufacturing environment. And you can start to begin to infer the playbook for management team to think, how are we going to win in this? And what capabilities do we need? What assets and resources do we need to put together in order to create those capabilities or seize those opportunities? So it was a fascinating example of sort of the positive work that we were able to do with a supporting sponsor, Helped them, but it also helped create for us and for manufacturers generally, this sort of like, here's what you need to do to succeed. And as we've looked ahead in this COVID environment, I'm actually about to give a talk to a bunch of people in a couple of weeks showing how some of those same themes that we developed have continued to roll out with the transformation of manufacturing workplaces and markets thanks to COVID. And you see how these same themes are still valid. They just play out in a different context. But if you get those themes right, you're in much better shape than if you don't
0: You know, Tom, for some reason, there was something you said earlier in our podcast today that I just can't get out of my mind. And I'm I'm just going to share it here with our listeners. You talked about how this middle market, which from 10 million to a billion, very different attributes of a $20 million company versus a $750 million company was that their buying process, especially related to digital transformation is different. They wait, they wait, they wait, they evaluate while they wait and they jump in. I'm thinking for our listeners, everyone is talking about moving from a sales or customer acquisition process to a outside in customer buyer journey process. Yeah. And it sounds like having them really trying to understand what is that buying process in a middle market company is going to be critical for them to have successful sales and marketing investment to attack that market. Would you agree? I totally agree.
1: Let me be very commercial, right? We're an academic research center. We would love to make a deep study of what that customer buying journey is for midsize companies. Anybody out there in podcast land who wants to fund that study, talk to Ray and get in touch with me. Let's figure out how to do it because I think it's a fascinating topic and it's just going to get more fascinating as digital transformation starts affecting that journey. It's a third of the economy. Think of the purchasing, right? And, and also what's interesting, if you think about that difference between a 15, 20, 50, 100, $200 million company, they go through, a, I'm hypothesizing, a sort of a growth, a maturity model. And if you can understand not only their end-to-end journey with each purchase, but also the longitudinal part of that as these companies grow and mature, as they start adding more process, how does that change? How can you understand where they are? How can you get them to the next level? I think it would be a fascinating study. I really want to get into it.
0: Yeah, I think about the sheer size of the opportunity. You talked about 17% of the middle market is manufacturing. Quick math says that's at least 34,000 unique companies that are in the middle market for manufacturing. So if you're trying to penetrate that industry, it sounds like getting to know exactly what the buying criteria and the buying process looks like would make a lot of sense. So I would encourage all my listeners to think about how they're gathering that insight into the buyer journey. And happy to introduce you to Tom in the middle market for the National Center for the Middle Market. Tom, totally different topic. And I don't think this is about the middle market. I know that you're a longtime New York City resident. And New York City, is not only the financial capital of the world, which often is large enterprise financial institutions, but also I've always viewed it as one of the culinary capitals of the world, which is definitely small business. Tell me a little bit about what you've experienced in New York City over the last six months and where are we? Are we coming back out of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York City?
1: Well, yeah, a couple of things. First of all, I'm speaking to you from Manhattan, and actually I'm on East 96th Street, and I've got Mount Sinai Hospital, two and a half blocks this direction, and Metropolitan Hospital, four and a half blocks in the other direction. And I got to tell you, April was a pretty brutal time. I mean, you'd know, you hear a siren all the time as people were going through, and we did an extraordinary job here. There were some issues at the beginning. With sort of getting organized and realizing what we needed to do. But it's been an extraordinary response. And the city has taken on the chin, and the city is resilient and strong. And I'm really glad I didn't leave. And I took my first trip outside of 40 block radius a couple of weeks ago and went up to see some friends upstate. But I'm glad I was here. It's been tough. And I got to tell you, when I've been looking around at some of the behavior of places elsewhere in the country, particularly in June, as this stuff was spreading around the country, I was furious. Look at all the work we did for you guys, and you guys are blowing it and throwing it away. I was just livid about it. You think about the business impact. I'm also old enough to have been here when The Daily News headline, Ford the City Drops Dead, took place in the financial crisis of the 1970s, and to have seen the city come back. And yeah, it's a financial capital, and that's an important part, and it's a cultural as well as a culinary capital, and we need to get Broadway back and the Metropolitan Opera back and those things back, not only to bring in tourists, but to support the kind of cosmopolitan experience that makes the city special. But if you think about the Goldman's and so on and so forth, they're also supported by a whole lot of smaller financial services companies, fintechs, and other companies that may be small or may be mid-sized companies. a Whole lot of law firms. Most of those, the AmLaw, most of the AmLaw 100 are middle-market companies. So you get a huge, most you know, professional financial services and professional services and healthcare middle market in the city, as well as you know, some manufacturers left in a few parts of town. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, the city is being cautious about opening back up. Right now, it's the end of September. Kids are going back to school. Indoor Dining's about to start. They're having a little blip because of the... Jewish high holidays. So it's like, you know, there's a little watch this space anxiety as there is for across the country for other reasons. And of course, people are going to spend more time indoors. But great cities are extraordinary places. And you look at pictures of London during the Blitz or Berlin after the Second World War, or New York in the 70s after extraordinary bleeding out from suburbanization and serious drug issues. Vibrant cities come back. And so I'm extraordinarily optimistic. I think it's going to be tough, but hey, that's been there, done that. And I think that the the combination of assets and capabilities and people and energy that you have here is pretty unique. And I also think it's important, especially in a time of sort of name calling, political name calling. I think it's important that the country recognize how critically important big cities, and not just this one, but Chicago and L.A. and... Miami and Houston and uh, big cities are really important. And to support big cities and help them grow is really important for everybody. And so we want to be there. We want to be there as Americans and because, hey, it's where the action is, it's where the life is, where the vitality is. And you don't want to bleed it dry because everybody suffers from that.
0: You know, it's interesting, Tom. I'm from the Midwest and That's my affiliation and passion for all things The Ohio State University, including the National Center for the Middle Market. But it reminded me of a famous saying from another Midwesterner, the rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. And this is what Mark Twain said. And I truly believe that pertains to big cities. If you love the theater or you love culture, culinary, you're going to want to go to New York or to San Francisco. And even though we're all talking about the work-from-home dynamic, yeah, I think there's real benefit to being able to spend some of your time working from home and eliminating the commute. However, I think the draw of big cities is going to come back.
1: You know, I think that's been the path of human society around the world. Urbanization has been one of the megatrends of the 20th and 21st centuries. This awful pandemic, which is history textbook size global event is damaging. Yeah, like the Black Death, which wiped out 25% of the population of Europe was damaging. It was a history textbook damaging thing. But we do our best when we are bumping, rubbing elbows with one another, bumping into one another, arguing with one another, doing all those things that we do when we're together. And hey, Zoom is great. Zoom, by the way, was a middle market company at the start of the pandemic. It's blown through and now is a billion-dollar-plus market. Zoom is great. I love Zoom and I love a lot of this remote stuff. But that face-to-face, or from New York, I might say that in-your-face
0: kind of conversation and kind of activity, it's very human and we need it back. Well, Tom, I'm going to wrap up with that. And after you shared some of the growth characteristics of the middle market and the sheer market opportunity, I think most of our listeners are going to want to learn more about how do they take advantage of that opportunity. And for our listeners, can you just tell me once again, what is your website address so they can come, see some of the research that you currently have, and if they're interested in learning more, how they can contact you?
1: Yeah, Ray, and thank you for that. It's middlemarketcenter.org is the address of the website. And if you don't remember that, just Google the National Center for the Middle Market and that'll take you there, but middlemarketcenter.org.
0: Great, Tom, thank you so much for being our guest on today's episode of the Metrics That Measure Up podcast. And best of luck to you and your colleagues. Thank you, Ray, and back at you. Thank you for listening to today's Metrics That Measure Up podcast. If you would like to learn more about B2B SaaS metrics and benchmarks, please visit revopsquared.com.